This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yelton, we have a podcast. Diving, diving deep, deep, diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General John McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey, everybody! Welcome into the Utopia Football Podcast, Episode Two. Sean Pendergast, the Pain and Pendergast mornings on Sports Radio 610, alongside the Hall of Famer, also part of our team at Sports Radio 610, uh, the General John McClain. And John, it is uh, it's good to see you. We're five practices in, and we're going to get to those practices in just a second. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing great. Uh, Texans had a day off on Thursday, and then Tony Busby had a news conference. The Sean Watson situation, of course, is still raging out of control as we sit on the edge of our seats waiting to see what happens. And uh, and the Astros won. Yeah, I yeah, know no, you no. were there. That was nice. I was yeah, great seats. I was, uh, John, just real quick aside, uh, have you ever sat at the first row, right, looking into the bullpen before out in right field? I have never sat anywhere in the outfield other than Crawford boxes one time, and I think that they're pretty cool. I saw your tweets, and it looked like a great vantage point. It was really cool. It's uh, just watching the whole uh, operation in the bullpen. There is is really really interesting, and I. Little, this is a, just a, to me, something I noticed. I've been to Minute Maid Park hundreds of times, but just for whatever reason, it, it stuck with me yesterday. The ballpark itself is a lot more fun out in the outfield. Like they got the bars out there in center field and there's a little more room to roam in the concourse and things like that. It's very underrated out there, John. I tell you, you should give it a try. I'm telling you the, the first row right above the bullpen. You should give it a shot sometime. You and Carol. Highly recommend. I've so, walked around it. We've walked around it a lot and watched yeah. a little bit from out there, but we've never had seats there. And one of the things to me, when you sit in the outfield, you see the vastness of the outfield, how much ground the, the outfields have to cover that you don't see as much when you're, say, but buying third base all the way around to first base. It is. It's a big outfield. No, you're right about that. All right. So let's get into it's the Utopia football podcast. So let's get into we'll get into some football and training camp in just a second. But, John, you touched on it. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. <laughs> what we thought was going to be a fairly kind of, you know, normal August here with training camp. We just can't get Deshaun Watson out of our lives. And today we found out we can't get Tony Busby out of our lives either. Let's start with the Busby press conference. It literally just ended minutes ago from the time you and I are recording this right now. Um, and for those who missed it, the, the Cliff Notes version, I'll just give the Cliff Notes version real quick. Tony Busby held a press conference in which I would say about uh, half of it, at least, was him just sort of rehashing the entire story, the saga of the lawsuits, his views on um, the NFL and what a, what a, quote, jumbled mess their disciplinary or their player conduct investigation process is. Ashley Solis, who was Jane Doe number one, probably the most I was probably the most recognizable of all the, the the plaintiffs against Deshaun Watson. She's been the one that's been out there, sort of the public face of the plaintiffs. She spoke briefly. I would say the big salvo in all this, John, was the final sort of shot across the bow of the NFL that Tony Busby put out there where he implored to Roger Goodell in the midst of this appeal of the initial suspension that every victim of sexual assault is watching the NFL. Roger Goodell, what will you do? It's never too late to do the right thing. So that's sort of a summary of the Tony Busby press conference. John, we're minutes off of this right now. What are your thoughts? I think it's a crock if he thinks that he can all of a sudden make Goodell go, oh, wow, Tony Busby's right. Everybody watched me. He already wants an indefinite suspension of more than a year. And, and, and Judge Robinson said that that that's what the league wants. So what exactly is Busby looking for? Prison? And it just makes no sense because we know what the league wants. And ultimately, I think this, Sean, it's going to be decided by a federal court judge. It may take a long time, and it may get, it'll get kicked back like Tom Brady's did. And they say, hey, you negotiated a collective bargaining agreement. You'd live by it. And okay, I'll- that's what I think will ultimately happen. Yeah, I want to get to that in just a second. As far as Busby goes, just because I'm with you, I you know that's I would say most of it today. I certainly don't want to diminish Ashley Solis and what she's gone through and and her courage and all of this. As Busby has pointed out numerous times, um, my feeling just in listening to that press conference was this feels like Tony Busby, it, like he's he's addicted to some of the publicity that he gets through this stuff. And it's been no, a while. It's, no. Can you believe that? And it's been a while since he, you know, it's like he's tapping the vein on his, on his arm. And he's like, man, I need a hit of some publicity. That's a great way to put it. I need it now. I need my pub. Now it really just felt like, man, I gotta, I gotta soak every drop out of this thing that I possibly can. And again, I'm not diminishing the accusations of the plaintiffs, but this did feel like a, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it it's 30 minutes I'm not going to get back. Let's just put it that way. That's kind of how we I had, felt. That thing is we had to listen, though. I was listening yeah. on Sports Radio 610, and I kept waiting. Okay, where's the bombshell? He said early on, no more lawsuits coming from this firm. And I was thinking, could he possibly bring bring out more clients? But he didn't. And I think Ashley Solis, whatever she got in her settlement, she deserved it. I hope that she got what she wanted. As far as Busby trying to pressure the NFL, the NFL is going to look at him as like a fly on an elephant's butt. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you on that. Um, all right. So let's get to the Deshaun Watson part of this. Then the league yesterday announcing that they are going to appeal uh, the decision by judge, former judge Sue L. Robinson, that the punishment 
is going to be six games with some other caveats mixed in about Deshaun needing to schedule his massages. Like literally that's in the decision. Like he has to schedule his massages through the team and at team facilities. It's, I mean, yeah, like we're, 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 we're so far down the, down the rabbit hole on this thing. Um, But the, the league, and I guess, John, just to start off with, are you surprised at all that the league is appealing this decision by Sue L. Robinson? No, and all of a sudden, Sean, people are complaining about the system. Well, it's in a collective bargaining agreement. Nobody should be surprised. It says that Robinson makes her ruling and then the league can appeal to the league. Goodell's going to have someone else hear it, which is smart, because when it ends up in court, they're going to like, I think, the fact that there was somebody appointed independently, maybe Mary Jo White, who's been doing the investigation. I'm assuming it'll be a woman. Uh, just as like Robinson. And so um, it, 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 I hear people blasting the system. Well, why didn't you do that in, two th- in 2020 when they came up with the system? Why the players agree to let uh, Goodell be the final word, like the appellate judge, yeah. to get some more time off just blows me away. But it is what the players agreed to. They'll have to abide by it. And considering Robinson said he wanted a year indefinitely, and he would have to meet a lot of standards set forth. They want a significant fine. But what's significant, Sean, to a guy making 230 mil guarantee? Well, I don't know, but Deshaun did not want that eight to ten million dollar fine that they were offering up in that settlement. I John, I know he's got a lot of money, a ton of money. Um, those rusty Harden bills are, are, I mean, you can probably Ooh, choke yeah. a horse with those bills. I, I mean, Deshaun's, Deshaun's got a, he's got a lot of expenses, man. He's got a lot of money, but he's got a lot of expenses. You know, it's funny, John, just talking about the, the conduct policy and the, the, the doling out of punishment under the new CBA. Um, I, I think sometimes Ted Johnson used to say this, that 99% of the players in the league are not as worked. They 99% of the players in the league don't get into trouble. So, and I'm not saying that all of those 99% that don't get into trouble are okay with Roger Goodell being judge and jury ultimately on all this. But what Ted used to say was this is way less important to a big chunk of the league than you would think, like how punishment gets dished out. Doesn't affect me. Right. Most of the guys in the league are like, okay, well, I, I don't drive drunk. I don't hit my girlfriend. I don't act freaky in massages. I don't do all these things. I'm never going to run afoul of the conduct policy. So yeah, cool. If this is a negotiating point and we're going to get extra money because Roger Goodell gets to have his fingers in the pie of, of, of player conduct uh, punishment doling out, then yeah, cool. Let's do it. I'd rather get the money and not try to do something that's going to benefit quite honestly, a lot of guys who, who, clearly if you're if you're running a foul of the player conduct policy there's a pretty good case you can make that you don't understand the privilege that you have of being an nfl football player that is a great point sean i i'd forgotten when ted used to talk about that on 610 but it's a great point and uh that's why the union agrees to it every time a collective bargaining agreement is up so don't don't bitch about the system the system's two years old players agreed to it or wouldn't be in place. And now you're supposed to respect the system. And uh, I can't wait to see if he, if they reach a settlement, Mm -hmm. they go from six, he wouldn't agree to eight. They won't go to six. So it's going to be six, six, between six and a season. What would you think would be a good 
meeting in meeting in the middle point. I, I kind of like the I like the point that the NFL was offering up reportedly in their settlements with Deshaun that he rejected. The 12 games with the eight to ten million dollar fine felt appropriate to me for a couple of reasons, John. First of all, the 12 games felt appropriate. And I don't buy into the whole thing of, oh, it's going to be 12 games because they don't want Deshaun to have to go to Houston. They don't want that circus of him going to NRG Stadium. I'm not buying that. If it goes 12 games, they play the Texans in week 13. But with the bye week, that Texans game would be the Browns' 12th game of the year. So a 12-game suspension eliminates Deshaun playing at NRG Stadium this season. I think 12 makes sense. And it goes back to me to some of the points Sue Robinson was making in her explanation where she said the biggest punishment that she can find where a player was accused of something nonviolent sexual was three games. So I think you do three games times four cases that they presented to Sue Robinson. You know, for those who don't know, they didn't present all 24 plaintiffs. They presented four that had particularly compelling evidence. The evidence was compelling enough for Sue Robinson to say, yeah, I think Deshaun did all these things. So I think you do if the if the highest punishment they've given of a quote nonviolent sexual nature is three games, you do three games times the four uh, times the four um, uh, accusers, and that's twelve. And then I think the eight to ten million makes a lot of sense because Deshaun just got paid ten million bucks to do nothing for a year because <laughs> he requested a trade. So I think it's and that plus plus the way the Browns and Deshaun have structured this contract, I think is a complete middle finger to 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 the 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 accusers to the league, to everybody. So that that's why I feel those are appropriate. Well, I would love to see it be Levin now because I want to see him play. I do too. Houston. You know, for yeah. the longest time, Sean, I thought when he came back, he'd be cheered. Now I think he'd be booed like crazy. What yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think, yes. I, I I think whatever support Deshaun had left in this city has, has dwindled to almost nothing. So I, and it, you know, it's, and that game's the game's in December. I, I mean, I don't think I'm going out on a limb here by saying by December we're going to kind of know the direction the season is going for the Texans. They're not going to, in all likelihood, not going to be a very good football team this year, um, even though I like a lot of the young guys that they have on the team. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if Deshaun does play in that game, what the combination of what I'm guessing is a season that's a losing season at that point, but with Deshaun coming back, like is that a full stadium? John, they haven't had a full stadium in two years like anything close to it, um, you know, so that'll be interesting to me, just the placement on the calendar, December of what, at that point, 11 or 12 games into the season, there's a good chance the Texans are, you know, three and eight, something like that. Think of the money that people that have tickets can get from scalpers for Browns fans that would want to see his first game back. Yeah. If indeed it were 11 and watch him play, I think it would be asking too much to expect him to step off a of suspension back into the lineup and play the way he did for the Texans in 2020. Seems like it's going to take him a couple of games whenever he comes back to get knock off the cobwebs. But um, I one of the things I do like about uh, Texans training camp is most of the talk while we're there and is about the team. And unlike last year, where every day is about Watson, and we're able to focus on players more and coaches like Pep Hamilton more than we have been since uh, 2019. Absolutely. And, John, we're going to talk about those in just a second here on the Utopia Football Podcast. I do want to talk about training camp and get into some of those names, those exact names you just mentioned. Last thing on Deshaun before we move along, um, what do you think – what do you think the other owners, the non-Haslam owners – 
think of this whole thing. You know, Roger Goodell, maybe this should have been a reason why, among many reasons why an appeal was a virtual lock and all this. Goodell works for the owners. I have to imagine every other owner in the league is livid with the Haslam's right now over the contract, right? Over the contract, the resetting of the, the, the drastic resetting of the quarterback market, the precedent of a fully guaranteed contract. Um, and, and who they've given it to, you know, somebody who is, you know, run afoul of the of of the player conduct policy. And do you think that there was probably behind the scenes a lot of the owners in Roger Goodell's ear saying you better appeal this thing, man, this six games is ridiculous. John, do you think there were owners that were confidants? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yes, yeah. confidants like Robert Kraft. Yeah, Robert Kraft could have been suspended and that kind of died on the vine. Uh, Jerry Jones, even though Jerry, when he was mad about Zeke Elliott, didn't think Rogers should be involved in any of that. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, you think the Ravens, the Bengals and the Chargers and the Cardinals are not living at what the Browns did. And so I'm sure they've all told him if they did a thumbs up and a thumbs down, like the old Coliseum in Rome, everybody would be a thumbs down on anything involving the Haslam's and the Browns because they threw that whole salary situation out of whack with so many talented young quarterbacks coming up needing new deals. Yep. All right. Uh, let's, let's keep it moving, John. So uh, we hit Busby, we hit Deshaun, let's go to actual football and Texans training camp. So we're five practices in as this podcast drops on Friday morning. Um, Texans off on Thursday, back at it on Friday for day number six. But we've had five days of practice. We've had three days in pads. And um, I guess maybe you and I can go dueling pianos here, just sort of uh, take turns picking out things that jumped out at us, uh, maybe players that jumped out at us, position groups, coaches that have sort of jumped out here early on. And I'll let you fire the first, uh, fire the first salvo here, John. Give me something that, that's jumped out to you. Um, and you know, you've been at every minute of these practices, just like I have, what, what's, if you had to list things here and put a big board together, what's the number one thing for you that's jumped out at uh, training camp so far for the Texans? Well, we, Sean, we had to talk about Mills. He's coming off his best practice on Wednesday when he was quick release, getting rid of the ball quick. He put it where it was supposed to go. And, and Pep Hamilton has told us he wants to play faster, that he'll have a lot of the changes up front dictated by Justin Brett, which is the way it should have been. There was no reason a rookie should be worried about those things last year. So I think the fact that he wants him to play faster and uh, and and the fact that Mills looks much more comfortable, which is natural going into his second year, but I think the system fits, fits very well for what uh, is best for him in being able to get up the line of scrimmage, get rid of the ball instead of sitting there thinking, thinking, think. Yeah, I, I think John, you named a couple of. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of fire back here as we're picking things out at Texans training camp that we really liked in looking in in watching the, the particularly these last three practices that were in pads. Um, I'll take it, not just Mills, but the entire 2021 draft class as a whole. It was only five guys but none of them were picked in the first or second round. Mills was the highest drafted one at 67th overall. I would say all five of these guys, John, have come back and look ready to contribute to this football team, certainly exceed what they all contributed last year to the team. Mills has looked really solid in practice, as you point out. Nico Collins looks like a different player here early on in training camp than the one that 
uh, finished out with, you know, 30, 35 catches, whatever it was he had last year. Brevin Jordan has made a ton of plays. Tight end, uh, number nine in your program out of uh, Miami. Um, he's made a ton of plays in practice. And then the two defensive rookies taken in the fifth and sixth round. We already knew Roy Lopez is a starter on the defensive line. And they raved about Garrett Wallow. Um, that Nick Casario might have gone five for five in a draft class in which he wasn't picking until the beginning of the third round. That's and it's early, obviously. They, they played one season and five practices of a training camp. But boy, these these uh, these are five guys that really look like they've kind of taken to whatever it is the Texans are doing in the building over there right now. I think since they make the biggest improvement in their careers is going into the second season, most of the time that bodes well for them, also bodes well for this draft class. Mm -hmm. He had so many picks, he's got more chances to screw up. And looking at it, and I'll go back, you're right about all that, and then I jump forward to this one. And, of course, I'm partial to Jalen Petrie since he went to Baylor, but everybody loves Jalen Petrie. And now that Derek Stingley's out there all the time, you look at him, and if you didn't know who number 24 was, and we were talking about this yesterday, you just stand there and look at the DBs when they're in their individual drills, and you think, which one's Stingley? You can just look at him and tell. He's just got the way he carries himself, the way he stands. His posture's perfect. He just looks like a lockdown corner, and I can't wait to see him get on the field and see what he can do. I don't know how much they're going to play him in that first preseason game, but having he and Petrie, as as uh, starters right off the bat is going to make that defense so much better. Yeah, no, they're definite upgrade. I mean, I mean, obviously they're huge upgrades talent wise over what they were trotting out there last year. Yeah, I'm willing to live with the mistakes of a young secondary, John. If those are the guys they're trotting out there, I'm willing to live with the mistakes of a uh, of a young secondary. The other first round pick, Kenyon Green, finally got some reps with the ones that seemed to calm some people down. That he had been running with the twos all of camp. He had, I think it was day four the second padded practice, he was running with the ones, um, you know, I guess as camp starts to shape up, are we looking at a Max Sharping versus Kenyon green battle at left guard? Or do you think it's just, they're, they're just mixing and matching right now. And it's going to be Kenyon green in week one, when they play the Indianapolis Colts. John, he, he was with the first team that day. Then Sharping was back first team the next day. And maybe Sharping will take the coaching of uh, George Warhol and become a better player. But to me, you don't want you don't you want at least a couple of new starters in that offensive line. Yeah, and they they traded up to get Green for a reason. And I, I know we talked about this on six ten, but uh, the first couple of days he seemed slow to get back to the huddle, which tells you that he was he was sucking eggs. And so I always watch players, especially ones that come from the West Coast and freak out when they get the humidity. And but he, he came all the way from College Station, and so I didn't notice that the last two he was up, he was back just like his teammates. So at some point, he's going to start. But I would like to see Sharping. I like the guy, he works hard. Um, he's a big guy, he's tough, and maybe just maybe in Warop's system that he'll do well. But Green was drafted number one for a purpose. So if you're looking at that offensive line, Charlie Heck is a swing tackle. Mm -hmm. And Justin McRae is probably going to be the backup center because he can play guard. And then you got Max Sharping. That's eight right there without any injuries. And so I'm, I'm thinking Green's going to start. If not the first game, it won't be long afterward. Yeah, that is eight. You're right. And then they, they drafted Austin Deculus. He's a six-round pick. So he might wind up on the practice squad or something like that. But yeah, 
for an offensive line that hasn't played very well the last couple of years, you do get to eight guys awfully quick when you start to stack them up the way you just did. <laughs> so, um, also, a little uh, different last year when those guys were coming through the stadium like a revolving door. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, you mentioned Pep Hamilton, John. I feel like, I feel like the, the system has been a big topic this week. The comparison of the system, Tim Kelly's system to Pep Hamilton's system. And Davis Mills, when he was on with uh, John Lopez and Landry Locker on In the Loop, was pretty candid. Justin Britt wouldn't bite on the question when Landry tried to ask him about differences between Kelly's offense, which is really O'Brien's offense, and Pep Hamilton's offense. Davis Mills went in and basically just said, man, this is way easier for a quarterback to run this system than the one that we were running last year. There's so much less on – this is Mills talking, saying there's so much less on my plate. The center in this offense is the one that calls out the Mike linebacker. Really, that's where the onus is, is, is on the offensive line. Um, I would imagine if you're a Texan, honestly, if you're a Texan fan, like hearing anything that's different than what the system is they've been running the last couple of years is probably music to their ears, right? For Texan fans. Absolutely. There's yeah. no question. People got a lot of confidence in Pep Hamilton, and I'm thinking, why? Now, five teams were interested, and so people love the guy, and this puts him a step closer to being head coach. And he uttered two words on uh, Wednesday that were music to my ears when he's talking about rookie running back, Damian Pierce, one mm -hmm. of them was explosive and the other one was playmaker. Yep. Yep. That's your guy, John. That's you've hitched your wagon to the Damian Pierce star this year. That's your guy. So you got to like that positive feedback. Hey, are you, uh, are you buying the, uh, Pharaoh Brown, uh, the, the Pharaoh Brown smoke so far this training? Yeah. I feel like every year it's an annual tradition that we fall in love with Pharaoh Brown and then, Inevitably, he goes out and gets six penalties over the next three games, and we fall out of love with Farrell Brown. But Farrell Brown's done some nice things so far. Are you buying Farrell Brown right now? I was buying it last year, Sean, after he flashed in 2020. I thought, man, 6'6", 260, he can yeah. run. He's got, he's got, he's kinda, he got some acrobatic moves, but then injuries and, and ineptness kept him out, penalties. But he just looks so good. The last two practices, he made a lot of big catches. Yep. And they need somebody tied in besides Bravin Jordan because Jordan's not a blocker. And man, oh man, he can help. He can help Davis Mills so much if he could just stay on the field and be consistent. Um, John, I know uh, I, when you and I were putting the rundown together, I had originally put this down, this segment down is who are the winners and losers from training camp. But as you appropriately pointed out to me before we took to the air, um, it's really hard to point out losers a week and a half into training camp. And you were right. I was having a hard time finding losers when I was doing it. Before I talked to you, I was having a hard time finding them. There is one loser I do need to point out. That poor NFL Network camera that got hit with a stray Jeff Driscoll incompletion during the, uh, dur during the throwing to wide receivers against air drill. Did you see that? Did you see that camera take a – it was right in front of me. It's, I felt like a gunshot went off, John. It was the lens, and I tell you, I th I heard that Driscoll was aiming for it, and it was the most accurate throw he's made since he's been here. <laughs> he had a big problem with the cameraman. The cameraman looked at him the wrong way when he was walking in that day. It was really funny, actually, John, because I was standing right there, and <laughs> Pep Hamilton came walking over and said to the cameraman, he's like, um, his name is Jeff Driscoll. That's who you need to charge that to is Jeff Driscoll. <laughs> and then Pep turns around and starts walking back over towards the drill. He's like, Driscoll, you just bought yourself a camera. 
$250,000. Yeah. Oh, right. Of all the cameras to hit, right? He couldn't just knock the phone out of one of us schlubs hands. Like that would have been the camera to hit. He hits the most expensive camera. And, and probably- the biggest the biggest target too. He couldn't hit a little cell phone camera. Right. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah, he did. That, that, that camera has a large catch radius. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, hey, John, just in general out at camp, what have you thought about the vibe out there with the, the fans the last couple of days with the padded practices and fans being out there? What's your, what's your general feel of the mood and sort of the vibe people you talk to, you interact with, with, as many, if not more people than all of us through your social media outlets and everybody you see around town. What, what do you get the senses early on here is just sort of the mood around training camp? People are realistic. They're upbeat about the rebuild, phase two of the rebuild. They're fired up to have first round picks again, two of them. They like the young talent, but they're not harboring any grandeur. They just want to see the team improve. And we're not going to know that until we get into regular season. People will flash in preseason, maybe the first game, and they're not on the final roster. They're on the practice squad. But all they're looking for is to see what they've seen. Brandon Cooks or Nico Collins especially, Farrell Brown, a lot of those guys, Jalen Camp, are getting the fans pumped up by making exciting plays in practice. Most of them come from Davis Mills. And you can't really tell about linemen and linebackers and running backs until you see them where they can hit people. And that's not coming until preseason starts. I know you're pumped. I'm pumped. Everybody's pumped. Not for the playoffs, but just see where are the Texans going in their first season under Lovey Smith. Yeah, I think the mood's been great. I thought the crowds are really good the last couple of days for the padded practices. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm excited. I'm optimistic. It feels good. It feels good to have it be kind of normal. They are making a lot more plays. It feels like now that's the Texans defense. It's on the other side of this. So you got to kind of go glass half full in this whole thing, but, but they have been making a whole lot more chunk plays in the 11 on 11 this year than they were like this time last year, the offense was absolutely, it was brutal to watch. And lo and behold, that carried into the regular season as well, big time. So it's been a much more watchable brand of football, at least in these padded practices in last year, I would say. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, It is the Utopia football podcast. John, last thing, uh, hall of fame induction ceremony this weekend, hall of fame game uh, this weekend as well. So we get football this weekend. Uh, are you – I would imagine for you as someone who's part of the committee that, that picks these guys every year, this is, a, this is a circle the date weekend for you every single year watching these guys go in, right? I've been there about 15 times for this uh, induction ceremony. I've been a bunch more times where it was not induction weekend. But, yes, I watched the speeches because I played just a minuscule role uh, in my voting as far as being on the – 48 member selection committee. And I'm always so happy because it means so much to the former players and coaches and contributors to be inducted. Now, as far as the game, I don't give a rat, you know what? And I'll guarantee you when they said Trevor Lawrence is not playing, the NFL's like, oh my goodness. They want him to play at least a series so they could get more viewers. But I know this all over the country, from Seattle to Miami and from Boston to LA, people are going to be pumped about Jake Luton. Because <laughs> they got no choice. They got to love the one they're with, John. And that's who is on your television tonight is, is Jake Luton. Um, where is, uh, is is getting Andre Johnson into the Hall of Fame at the top of your things right now? Like we're at the stage you're at in your career. Is that is, is that like uh, on that 
tippy top tier of priorities for you getting Andre into the Hall of Fame? Not right now. As a member of the seniors committee, I requested to present Chuck Alley, former Cowboys linebacker I grew up watching. And on August the 16th, we'll have an all-day Zoom, the seniors committee, to determine we're elevated three this year. The competition is fierce. And uh, I will present Halley. He's a long shot. And then once that's over, I'll go back to working on Andre, who met, made the cut to 10 in his first year of eligibility. So uh, once – if Andre gets in this year, I'll be so happy. It's just been tough for receivers because there's so many with so many gaudy stats. But I thought people did a great job talking about him last year and letting others know exactly what he was able to do when he was one of the greatest receivers in history. Yeah, John, I like of the receivers Andre has been going up against in these debates and these arguments. I mean, you're obviously in the room, so you've got a, a, a million times better grasp on how these things go and you actually present. I'm just a guy sitting there watching the whole thing from afar. But I, you know, I, I kind of, I'm kind of a junkie for this sort of stuff, the Hall of Fame stuff. And to me, as I look at the other receivers, you know, Andre's peers that that you're comparing him to in that room, I would say to myself, that's the guy I would want to be arguing for. Like, I, I would want to his is the case I want to take right here. Like, I think Andre's got to I think there's some really, really strong bullet points, which I'm sure you just hit everybody between the eyes with when you're presenting for him. I think I think Andre's got a great case for the Hall of Fame. Well, it's always about the competition. Joe Thomas, the great Cleveland tackles, the first balloter. Uh, I thought DeMarcus Ware would make it first ballot last year, but we didn't put any first-timers up there, so that's two of the five right there. And I'll say this, one of the scariest moments I've ever had is thinking, okay, I'm presenting Andre, and two members of our committee, Tony Dungy and Bill Pauley, are presenting Reggie Wayne, and they drafted and coached Reggie Wayne. And I, Reggie Wayne, didn't make the cut to 10, and Andre did. And so I'll be going at him again because I'm sure Reggie Wayne's going to be a finalist again, which he has been several times. And the other one was Torrey Holt. And one of the many things I passed along, Reggie Wayne played with Peyton Manning. Torrey Holt played with Kurt Warner, and both of them played with multiple Hall of Famers. And Andre's best quarterback was Matt Schaub. That's right. That's right. Can you believe Reggie Wayne and Andre Johnson were on the same team in college? Oh, those teams they were on were so <laughs> incredible. If you look at those rosters, my goodness. Yeah, it's wild. It's wild. All right. And uh, we are going to uh, be back early next week. We've The Texans have Friday, Saturday, Sunday practices, and then they're off on Monday. I would imagine Monday, Monday or Tuesday next week will be about the next time you hear from John and I here on the Utopia Football Podcast. Two episodes each week, more if warranted, if there is a, an emergency situation. John and I are not afraid to turn these mics on, get the Zoom going, put the headsets on, and share our thoughts with you on that as well. So give us a download. Give us the old uh, five-star review wherever you get your podcasts, odyssey.com. Uh, I download mine off of uh, iTunes as well. So any anywhere you need to get those podcasts, you can find the uh, the Utopia Football Podcast. John, it was great chatting up some Texans football with you as always and uh, have a great weekend. We'll do it again next week, my friend. John, I look forward to doing two more next week. Yeah, awesome. Us too. Have a great weekend, everybody, and we will talk to you next week here on the Utopia Football Podcast.